to-do list Tick it off and add some conversations and to-do lists my podcast series with me your host Fiona Ross and as per usual as I always say at the beginning that I'm excited about my guest because I do get excited about my guests because genuinely I get excited um but my guest today is the bassist and many other things Mr Derek Daly welcome Derek hi thank you so much for having me it is my pleasure so tell me, because I know obviously who you are, but for anybody yes. listening who's like, well, who's who's this Derek Daly? Who's Derek? How would you explain yourself to someone who doesn't know you? Ah, oh, that's a good question. How would I explain myself? I would say that, um, well, I do music. I'm a musician. That's all I've ever wanted to be since I was about 12. Uh, I wanted music. to be, <laughs> yes, I am a person that does music. Uh, when I say do music, I mean, I'm one of those weird kids who constantly has music playing in his head. Um, I hear car alarms go off in the street and I try and guess the interval. Um, yeah, it's it's a fun time until you really want to sleep. I think that's kind of the best way to describe it. I'm a great time until you need to rest and then it can be a bit much. Well, that's quite funny because <laughs> already <laughs> you said you're one of those kids, but you're a grown up, Derek. That's that. That's a matter of opinion, <laughs> and it's debatable. I have gotten taller and got more responsible, but I, I, I feel like I haven't really grown up. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I feel like I'm doing almost exactly the same things I did as a teenager, just louder with more people. Well, and I have to explain to our listeners, um, for anyone who, for some unknown reason, has not listened to my uh, brand new album, um, there's a song on it called Push Me Around in a Pushchair. And this song I actually wrote about conversations that Derek and I often have about being a grown-up and how even <laughs> though we are grown-ups, obviously I'm maybe a little bit older than Derek or or a lot older than Derek. Um, but, you know, we talk about the fact that at some point, you know, do you actually feel grown-up? Is there ever a time when you kind of, you know, you've got it sorted? Uh, and... Um, I don't think we do. <laughs> no, I um the uh the more I say the yeah, the older I get, the more I realize that anyone who says they figured it out, anyone who says they know what's happening is lying. Nobody knows what's going on. No, Everyone's so I, hoping for the best. I reckon you get there when you're, I don't know, 70 or 80. I mean, I really admire, mm-hmm. and you may have similar heroes. There's yeah, they're, they're they're women for me, but there's this a lot of women that I see, like Judy Dench. Helen Mirren. I mean, Judy Dench for me is is a, a huge inspiration. Yeah. But and I don't actually know how old she is, but she strikes me that she's at the point in her life that she's got it sussed. You know, in mm. that you know she's incredibly laid back. She works really hard, but she's also seems to have this attitude of like, you know what, I'm just going to do my thing, uh, and I don't care what anyone else thinks about it. And um, that that kind of confidence, but also that attitude of you know being comfortable 
with who you are yes. and, and what you're at. And yeah, I always sense that maybe that comes to people when you're like, I don't know, 70, 80. See, I agree with you. I also think it comes when you're like seven years old. Have you ever tried to tell a seven-year-old what they can and cannot do? It's, a, it's it's the worst thing you could ever try to do to an individual, especially yeah. when they're really young. So well, this I, I think it might be two of the same coin. But this was part of this song that I wrote about our conversation yeah. about push me on a push chair because, you know, when you're a child, like, and I'm talking very small, you know, yeah. you don't care. You just do what you, you do. You're, you're kind of relaxed. You kind of, you don't have responsibility or accountability. And, and you know, and you get that, I think, when, you, when you're when you really, really old again. So it's like there's a mm-hmm. massive bit in between when technically you're actually a grown-up. <laughs> but, you know, tackling life is challenging. Mm, I think maybe that's what it is. The challenge overall is to get back to being yourself. You know, when you're a child, you're the most yourself you're ever going to be until you get to that point where you stopped listening to other people's input and you actually can figure out the stuff that's inside your own head. I think that's when I say I don't want to grow up, I don't want to lose the first thoughts that come to my head. I don't want to see something and talk myself out of a situation or talk myself into a situation even. Because, I mean, children don't do things that they don't want to do, and usually they're fine. I you get a bit older you... and you get convinced to do stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think maybe I didn't articulate it very well. I don't want to lose a childlike nature of I d- I musicality. Don't think, I don't think you will ever lose that. Although I have to say you completely digress from my question, which was Sorry. who you are, because what you didn't mention is that you're a bassist. <laughs> I'm a bassist. I play music. I am actually a musician. I do. I make noise with instruments i'm playing mostly uh bass i started playing electric bass when i was very small um as in before i could ride a bike small and then i started playing double bass when i was about 16 15 and tried to play as much as i could since and, and i should explain now I get to cool stuff. well and i should explain to anyone listening so derek has been on um, I think it's six of my albums, this this it's new one being six. the sixth one. So uh, I've actually known Derek, we're not going to say how many years, but I've actually known Derek for, for quite some time. Um, and uh, he used to be one of my students. But that would be a whole yes. other conversation, which I don't actually <laughs> necessarily want to have. Um, because I do, I do know you obviously quite well because we've worked together for many years. Yes. But I tell you what, I did want to talk to you about because yeah, when we're mm-hmm. rehearsing and recording and and gigging, uh, we have snippets of kind of conversations. But um, you you've actually spent a lot of time with with legendary musicians in some way, shape, or form. And the first thing yes. that kind of sprung to mind about this was the Dexter Gorder um, event. So for again, yes. anyone listening with my Women in Jazz Media hat on, um, we had an event which was celebrating the life of Maxine Gordon, um, who, again, if you don't know who she is, she will be a guest on this podcast, I hope, um, at some point. She's my hero, my mentor. She's amazing. Uh, and she's, she's amazing. also uh, Dexter Gordon's wife. Um, but we had a, an event that was celebrating her work and she wrote this fantastic book about Dexter. And part of that night was a performance of Dexter Gordon's music. Uh, and I roped Derek in. Uh, and in fact, you were one of the few men there because it was a women in jazz music. Yeah. Um, but Derek was the bassist for the entire evening. Um, um. So, so that was sets and we had Tony Kofi playing sax. We had Hannah Horton, Horton playing sax. We had Emma Rabbits mm. playing sax. Um, so the first set was Dexter Gordon, and then the second set was um, Shirley, Co- uh, Shirley Scott, Melba Liston, 
a fantastic night. But yes, you you were on there. I don't know how many how many songs did you have to learn? How many tracks? It was thirty odd songs that yeah. we uh, we played that night. Um, to be honest, though, the band was amazing. Um, Abby Finn on drums yes. killed it. Abby's amazing. Killed the entire gig, and we had a jazz jazz key. <laughs> Sorry, um, we had. But it, uh, but it was funny because when I asked player. you. I didn't. It, Wendy Kirkland went the fabulous Wendy, Wendy was on piano. Yes. Yeah, and I didn't. Oh, when I kind of thought, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of have the bat line, and I kind of asked you to do it. It didn't really occur to me the amount of tracks that you were going to have to <laughs> learn. And of course, these were legendary songs. And what I found interesting, and I'm not a saxophonist, is Dexter Gordon's music isn't that often performed. So the first yes. set, which was Dexter, and and then again the second set, which was these un, unsung female heroes such as Shirley Scott and Melba Liston, their music mm-hmm. is is often uh, not performed. So I, I I did want to ask you firstly about you know, and it's not a trick question. Did, did you feel pressure? I felt so much pressure. Mm. I'm not going to lie to you. I felt some of the most pressure I've ever felt in my adult life. <laughs> However. As a musician, I really enjoyed every minute of it. Mm. Like, um, I it's, it's the thing that happens when you've got like a kid coming up. You don't have a social life. You <laughs> you eat, sleep, and read these songs. I used to wake up and just play the tunes morning till night. But then I had um, I had a little bit of an advantage because I'm a huge Dexter Gordon fan. I've always been. See, uh, I didn't know just, that I when do... I asked you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, when you asked me, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to play. I've played, um, I used to play a set of Dexter Gordon songs every week on Wednesday at a pub across the street from my uni. Did you so, really? Yes, yes. That Cheesecake is one of my favourite songs. To track. listen to, um, what else? When His version of Blue Bossa. Mm. Uh, yeah, so to get a gig where I get to play some of the music that I love to listen to is like, I mean, you can't really ask for more as a musician, really. But see, I didn't even know that because, Derek, you're you're one of these people that, um, and this is absolutely a compliment. Um, anything I ask you to be part of or to do, you're there. Like whatever mm. the event is or project or you know, ever since I've known you, whatever it is, if I ask you or kind of say I'd really love you to be involved, you you're just on it. So with the Dexter event, I, you know, I asked you, and it it didn't even occur to me uh, about kind of how much you knew of Dexter or any of that history. So that's that's hilarious that actually <laughs> you, you already know, knew his the, music really well. The, the thing for me, um, the only thing that was really uh, the pressure, I should say, from that gig was I got a list of tunes and mm. I got an artist I'm going to play with. And I went, cool, yeah, no problem. In a week later, it was like, yeah, I'm going to, Tony Kofi's going to come as well. And I'm okay, cool, no problem. We're going to learn his tunes. It's like, yeah, and now we've got Emma as so well. Like, oh, yeah, cool, no problem. Yeah, sure. <laughs> And then you look back on it, like uh, maybe four days before the gig, you're like, well, I've got 30 odd. Okay. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Let's lot. go. Yeah. And it, and it only really occurred to me, I think it was Abby, because during the sound check, because just the sound check alone was epic, because of course you had all these different people coming in. And and, and when we organized the sound check, I was like, okay, you know, 20 minutes for this person, 20 minutes for this person. It all made perfect mm. sense. But of course, you, along with Abby and Wendy, of course, you were there for the whole sound check because you, you were the back line for every single person set. So yeah, it was a lot of material and exhausting. But I think for I love, me... I love every minute of it. Oh, and honestly. you were you were amazing. I mean, it was a, it was a brilliant night. Um, But for I me, I, you know, I would be worried about playing Dexter Gordon's music 
to Maxine yeah, Gordon. It, it I mean, that, that's Gordon. another thing. I mean, let alone just learning the material and obviously giving you know, the legacy of Dexter. But but not just that. You're performing this music, you know, to his wife. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you know what? I Because I got to meet her beforehand, that completely went away. Yeah. I walked in there thinking, you know, I, I cannot, I cannot even look up and catch eyes of, of this lady but i met her she was like one of the nicest people one of the most welcoming people she's essentially she told me like the best is going to be great without saying so many words i'm like, it is going to be great it's going to be fantastic and um yeah she gave me a weird kind of boost of confidence just by being there so she, i mean yeah. it, it, i had a great time i really had a great time like it and was you, one of the highlights of my career so far, I must say. Well, and also musicians that you've not worked with before, um, mm-hmm. uh, and Abby being one, Wendy being another, and, and Tony, Kofi, Emma. Have you stayed in touch with them? It's not a trick question. Have you kind of stayed have, in touch with I them? Have, I have. I um, I message Abby occasionally. We do, like, share memes and stuff. Um, Tony, I don't really speak to as much he, and Emma, it's weird because I bump into musicians who work with us, so like we like all the time. So I mean, I don't see them directly anymore, but social media's got this weird thing where everyone's sort of always connected. <laughs> that sounds sarcastic, Derek. <laughs> uh, do you know that's another problem I've got about not being able to grow up? You just say words and they come out <laughs> kind of wrong. But I mean that in the in the most lovely way. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm hoping, and this is something we did talk about at the time, because um, Maxine's got another book uh, coming out. Uh, actually, I don't know when, but it's this year. And we did talk, I mean, she loved that event so much that we did talk about perhaps we should do a tour, like a book launch tour for her second um, book, um, which um, includes some of these incredible women that you performed. So you may it's... well have to do that again. That would be amazing. I, it would be a pleasure if I had if I had to do it again. I'd love to do it again. Excellent. And I mean, and another legend. And again, this is an example of something when I mentioned something to you, and you're just kind of all over it. Um. So Dexter Gordon, Maxine Gordon, um, and Willard Jenkins. Ah. Now, yes. <laughs> again, anyone listening, if you don't know Willard Jenkins, he... holy shit, you need to know Willard Jenkins if you don't know Mr. I, Jenkins. Uh, yeah, I mean. I don't even know how to describe Willard. He is an absolute legend. He's um, a writer, journalist, um, but he's written this incredible book that came out not long ago called um, Ain't But A Few Of Us, um, which is basically the story of, um, well, it's the story of many different African-American jazz writers and journalists. um, And the fact that there's not many, hence Ain't But A Few Of Us. And this inspired me significantly. I mean, it's a great book anyway, but this inside inspired me significantly. Significantly, I can't talk because um, this has always been an area of me uh, of mine that I've been very passionate and interested about. But I thought, do you know what? We need to change this. We need to, you know, what can I actually do to make a difference? So, um, with my women in jazz media hat on, we've started this mentoring scheme. Um, and Willard's one of the mentors. And I kind of spoke to a few different people, kind of not thinking um, that anyone, to be honest, would say yes, because it was just an idea of mentoring. Um, but yeah, Willard Jenkins uh, not only signed up to be a mentor, um, Derek is the very first mentee. So we've got this, yeah. <laughs> this, and, and the plan is to literally change history, to change that landscape so it isn't white male dominated um, and that actually it is more of a, a balanced 
um, approach, especially when you consider where jazz com comes from and the roots. But you signed up and Willard Jenkins is your mentor. Yes, Mr. Willard Jenkins is my mentor. So talk and me through, because I'm genuinely curious. How How is it going? How's that? Like, what, have you spoken to him? What What's the plan? I, yeah, we're in touch at the moment. We uh, correspond quite a lot. Um, he's, how do I put it? He's very good at what he does. And I, there is a certain level that I would like to reach, and he's the sort of person that is a great example of what you can become if you a have a talent, b have a direction, and c have the perseverance to go for it. So he's I've been asking him the most obscure questions, and he's given me like the 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 world's depth of answers and I've got this huge reading list and I'm really excited because I really enjoy reading and I really want to become you know I want to become a writer and something I'm how do I, I need to calm down I'm getting excited I'm getting excited because I'm thinking about yeah I've got a uh, I've got to get back to him about some ideas for a top secret project that I'm working I'll tell you about it I can't tell you on the podcast because okay. uh, I should yeah, add I, anyone listening you've not written before or if you have there's certainly not been anything published so you are a brand new kind of starting a journey to potentially become um, a uh, jazz writer, a jazz journalist, right? Yes, I have co-written other things, but there's nothing with just my name attached to it. And there's nothing that I feel is as poignant as what I'm doing now. Like the article I'm working on at the moment, it's, uh, well, I mean, it, it's the building blocks of jazz and how we put it together. I'm just going to look at two, five, ones and, I'm going to touch on the theory side of it, but I'm trying to tie the more emotional aspects to it and how a chord can literally make someone feel a different thing. And it's it's really interesting and it's a really, I feel like as a musician, this is the next step in a musical journey in a way. Like As a musician, when you start learning things, you first learn how to hold the instrument, how to play the instrument. And then at a certain point, the philosophy of it comes into it and the why you're doing what you're doing and being able to articulate that is something I haven't been able to do. So now I have someone who can explain that to me. I'm hyper excited. I'm more excited than I've ever been about pretty much anything. I'm, I'm quite curious. So in your first, whether it was email or a Zoom or what, what were the kind of the first well, two things I want to know. I'm sure Willard gave you some some kind of words of wisdom that probably blew your mind or kind of got you started to think in the right direction. And two, mm -hmm. what did he ask you to do first? Like, did he give you a task? I, I kind of talk me through that first kind of meeting um, or discussion. Uh, well, the first thing, uh, after he introduced himself to me and uh, he showed me his website, I started asking him a bunch of questions. Mm. I started asking him what I should be reading, what I should be listening to, how do I get into the mindset of a journalist? And uh, this genius of a man decided to just give me everything that I could possibly need. So I've got this huge reading list okay. and I've been working through it over the last couple of weeks. And that in itself is a mind-blowing experience, mm. like approaching, not asking a question, approaching how to ask a question, mm. something you never think about. Because just you might ask a question, but the result, the answer that you got isn't usable, for instance. Mm. Or the way that a journalist can get their subject to relax. Mm. That's to relax and then actually speak and become themselves. And 
yeah, there's a lot that I do need to learn. But that's the that's how it went at first. Well, he was it's like he's asking me what what would you like to achieve? I'm saying, well, mm. trying to be like you. And he was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know. And like, we went back and forth for a while. And uh, yeah, I've got this huge reading list. I'm working on one, two projects at the moment. One of them is uh, uh, super top secret and I can't really talk about it. But the other one is, uh, yeah, two five ones and how jazz is amazing and how we should do more of it. So isn't it funny when someone says something secret, suddenly you really, really want to know? I'll tell you, I just can't tell everyone, you know? Well, no, I appreciate Sorry. that, but isn't it funny? It's kind of like, because, you know, <laughs> it's fine if there's stuff that you can't talk about. But I'm like, oh, I'm now really curious. But, but tell me, Derek, because I, I said like, we haven't had this conversation. When When you think about writing and the sort of writer you think you might like to be or you might end up turning into, because, as you say, writing is a journey, and I know from my mm-hmm. own experience when I first started writing and I just first started doing some reviews to kind of where I'm at now, you do. It's a mm-hmm. journey the, the same as it is as a musician. You kind of find your voice. It's just a different different way of yeah. communicating that voice. Um, but do you see yourself, I mean, is it? do you want to be writing reviews? Do you want to do interviews? Do you want to do kind of op-ed pieces? Do you, do you know yet the type of writing you think you might want to do? I know what I think I might be. I don't know what I'll become, mm-hmm. but in my head at the moment, I mean, I've, like I said, I've co-written and dabbled in like op-eds before mm-hmm. and like kind of light reviews, but the things I enjoy reading are more in anthology or scientific based okay. pieces. And music is very scientific. Just no one wants to talk about the science of it. But whatever reason, it seems... Okay, music is so beautiful in its science that it seems spiritual and almost magical in a way. Mm-hmm. But there are like very real things that are happening. And I like reading about it. I like exploring that in conversation. And hopefully I can, well, no, I am going to go down hopefully that road to not, have, I don't want to say legitimize music or legitimize the more esoteric aspects of it make it more tangible to like the non-musician because we can talk about music all day and someone else who's a non-musician will come in and have no idea what we're talking about Mm. and that because music is a language all of itself that not many people understand so we need to be able to communicate with each other and as musicians that's what we do we communicate ideas and feelings and thoughts and we I feel like we should be able to do it yeah that's really interesting because I think you know with me and one of my key um uh, things that I try and do is it's about accessibility and I think there's a mm. lot of I think it happens in the classical world as as well as in the jazz world sometimes um, jazz criticism um, can be inaccessible so it's fine if it's a group of jazz musicians uh, or you know a, a certain crowd will completely understand it but to the general mm. audience someone who is not a trained musician will they actually understand um, this piece that you're writing so that's the key thing for me is as you say it's yeah. like well sure music is is accessible but I think sometimes but but to be fair I think there's space for all of that you know there, there yeah. must be jazz criticism so you know there, there must be a place for that um, yeah. but there must also be a place for kind of your average I don't like that word but you kind of <laughs> your, your average member of the public who's not a trained musician that we want mm. to encourage to listen to jazz so it's really interesting exactly. that you, you kind of feel similar to that. See, the thing I find about music is it's the easiest thing in the world. Until you try to talk about it to someone else, 
And then suddenly you've got to use like, oh, it's crunchy. Oh, it's like this, but it's like that. And you've got to draw on all these other terms like out of the air to try and explain something that is so intrinsically simple. Just listen to it. Oh, yeah, I get it now. But I want to explain a song to you. It's like the craziest thing. And there is a, there is a way of describing it. And I don't know if the language exists, but it must exist because we're having this conversation. So well, there true. is a way. It's tangible. And I know there's a way. I just don't know how to do it yet. And I'm going to bother Mr. Jenkins until he helps me do it. <laughs> Honestly, well, I can't, I genuinely, I can't wait to read your article. Uh, and what we'll do, I think once, once you're published, whenever that will be, um, we, yeah, I'll get you on again and we can actually talk through your article because I'm genuinely mm-hmm. curious um, to what it would be like. But I'll tell you what, also, I don't think I've ever asked you this. And we often, we spend many times talking about amazing musicians. But whilst we're on mm-hmm. the subject of legends, who are your jazz heroes as a as a bassist? And, you know, because you compose a bit as well. So who are, yes. your, who are your jazz heroes? Uh, my jazz heroes. That's a big question. I know. And uh, I, I hate, ask, I don't normally ask it, but I suddenly thought, seeing as um, we're talking about legends, and actually I don't know the answer for, from you. I don't think I've ever asked you. The first person that comes to mind, Charles Mingus. Uh, I think it's his birthday, Charles so, Mingus. you know. I know this podcast is going out um, uh, after, but I think today I'm pretty sure it's it would have been his, but obviously it's not around. But Happy birthday, I'm, Mr. Mingus. I'm pretty sure if it's not today, it was yesterday. But yeah, Mingus, ah, okay, yeah. Yes, I um I got my hands on his uh I got my hands on RM when I was a teenager. Oh, great album! And it, yeah, it changed my life. It completely mm. changed my life. This he was playing the instruments in a way that I didn't think was legal. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't think that was okay. I didn't think it was allowed. Uh, and that because I, I had kind of blue. I got given kind of blue for my eleventh birthday. For your eleventh birthday. I, Okay. Yeah, I I listened to the fuck out of that album, top to bottom, left to right, upside. I burnt the CD out, and then I uh, got my hands on Charles Mingus, and yeah, no, that's I was like, this isn't okay, that's not okay, <laughs> and suddenly my like my tiny little mind opened up. I was like, wait, wait, I could do whatever I want, and no one can stop me. Mm. Like he was the, this was one of the first like musicians. I was like, wait, you can actually do whatever you want, no one can stop you. It's completely up to you. I mean, they're like guidelines, not rules. They're like you can, maybe we think this sounds good, but no one really knows. Good luck. So and you then were like I got 11. his. Uh, so you got kind of. So yeah. you got kind of jazz. Um, <laughs> kind of blue. Uh, kind, kind of blue. 11. Sorry, kind of blue at eleven, and then you got a hum. Yeah, and I just started trying to eat as much jazz as I could from the every everything. If I had a trumpet in it or a saxophone, I'd probably listen to it. And then yeah, I got really into every other kind of music from that, mm. like Sting. Huge fan of Sting. I mm. love Celine Dion. Um, I wanted to go see the Mamma Mia sorry, musical. Sorry, sorry. You love Celine Dion. You slipped back in there. I love Celine Dion. Ah, so we've gone from love Miles Celine Davis, Dion. Charlie Mingus, Sting. Okay. Okay, hear me out. Right? Okay, hear me out. The thing these people all have in common mm-hmm. is a mastery of their musicianship. Mm-hmm. Celine Dion's breath control next level Derek there's no judgment I was just curious as to the the movement between you know, those people <laughs> I usually get judged when I say no I know but you know what and it's funny and I, I was having this conversation with Eric Alper who I had actually as a guest on my podcast a, a little while ago because I find out and Eric Alper if you don't know him he's this this brilliant Canadian well to say he's a PR guy is is doesn't say it all but he's a legend 
in Canada. Uh, and in fact, he's the person that you call upon, you know, to talk about the music industry. So for example, when David Bowie passed, he was the first person that the Canadian kind of news stations would call on to talk mm. about David Bowie's career. He like, his knowledge is insane. Um, and I was watching um, a, a, a thing he did and it turns out that Phil Collins is his favorite drummer of all time. Um, and there was this hysterical uh, radio show that he did when basically everyone was like, what? Phil Collins? No, but there's, you know, and like naming all these legendary drummers. And he and he was like, there is no shame, uh, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's interesting how some people in some circles, people would go Celine Dion, Derek. But there is yeah, no I shame. Mean, yeah. We all like what we like and we like it for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I the only reason I get it a lot is because I session. I mean, I play in, like, you know, punk bands and metal bands and some jazz bands. And usually they don't just stick on a bit of Celine Dion in between. Like, I like they usually don't whack it on. And, and I would, so. Interesting. <laughs> See, I've learned something new. You learn something new every day. I would never. I didn't, <laughs> we've never discussed Celine Dion. How fascinating. Aretha Franklin, Celine Dion. And uh, Nina Simone. Mm. Nice. And Minnie Ripperton, obviously. You know, just, just just throw it out there. Just throw that one in there. Just throw, just throw it out there. Just... And you like Sting? Is there a particular album? Because my favorite Sting at worst, say, I don't like doing the favorite thing, but I love his Ten Summoners Tale uh, album. Yes. And you can probably guess why I like that one because it's got some lovely irregular time signatures in there. It's got fives mm. and sevens, which is my favorite. Yes, uh, that's a fantastic album. But whenever, whenever I think of Sting, I immediately think of um, uh, is it Never Coming Home? Is that the title of the song? Uh, it's oh, I know the one. Is it called Never Coming? Yes. Home? Okay. I can sing the chorus to you really badly if you want. Go on then, do it. Uh, I forgot the words. Oh, sorry, I'm I'm gonna get I'm gonna get the information. But anyway, there's this there's a Sting song that I absolutely love i think it's never coming home i can't remember what album was on but whenever i think of sting i think of an arrangement at madison square gardens that he did mm. when he was playing on double bass and that was it there when i love sting i i love sting i absolutely love sting okay i think he, we... he was sorry okay. go on no go on no no he he was saying he was doing um he was I doing was... like that hip-hop stuff before it was cool oh so back when he was in the police no, it's just Sting. It's called Never Coming Home and it's, it's Sting from his album called Sting. An album just called Sting? Sting Sacred Love. Uh, oh, that's one of his later yes, ones. Yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I'll tell you who we have talked about quite often is Anthony Jackson. Yes. Who I am a huge, huge fan of and he is known as being the godfather of bass. What are your thoughts on Anthony Jackson? Uh, I mean, who who doesn't like a bit of Anthony Jackson? I I don't know how he does what he does. He's one of those. He's one of those players for me. Uh, you can see him doing it and not quite get how his fingers have done it. You know, like I just, it's quite confusing. And then he plays with uh, Hiromi. Can't pronounce her last name properly, so I'm not going to try. And She's just yeah, Hiromi. <laughs> yeah, those, those, mm, that combination. Yeah, I, 
to be fair, I've actually stolen quite a few of Anthony Jackson's lick. His lick, so I mean, hopefully he's not listening to this. No, well, <laughs> hopefully he is actually. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I think? And I, I quite often think about this about session, well, sort of session players. And Anthony Jackson, I would say, is, is one of those. And in fact, I'll, I'm going to lump him with Steve Gadd, who are kind mm-hmm. of two exceptional, both godfathers uh, in their particular field. That in the industry, we all know. So if you yeah. talk to a musician and you mention Steve Gadd or you mention Anthony Jackson, then they instantly know who it is. Yeah. But but if you talk to the general public, if you were to mention Anthony Jackson, um, I, I would guess most people wouldn't have heard of him. We'll have no idea. But yeah. I mean, that's the same across, that's the same across any industry, though. I mean, yeah, there but, are yeah, sad. someone like Anthony Jackson. It's kind of like this is a great bass player, and most people like outside of the industry. Yeah, won't have heard. Of but that's the thing. But that's the thing. He's an amazing bass player. They might know songs that he's played on, like. But I mean, why would they? That's the thing about, about being a session musician. That's what I love about being a session musician. Mm. It's not about me. It's mm. about the song. Yeah. I just have yeah. to show up, know the song, and there are like maybe four or five other people that all know the song too, and I'm here to communicate with them. And the result of that is something that everybody else hopefully likes. So I mean. Yeah, I I think with Steve Gadd and Anthony Jackson, like uh, Sly and Robbie, for instance, those musicians, those session musicians, those legendary session musicians, are those cats who have something to offer to the song itself, mm. and people hear that and want that. That's I have I've got a friend of mine who's like one of the most successful musicians in the UK, and he said to me, session musicians, one of the most successful session musicians. I said, sorry, he said to me. I was asking a bunch of questions. How do you do this? What kind of juice do you drink? Like, help me out. And he's, he said to me, um, you just think about the song. Think about what it needs and have that. The more you have that, the more people are going to want you to play for them because mm. you're adding to the song. Mm. You don't, don't just play the notes. Don't just go through the motions. What are you adding to the song? Mm. Like, If you're going to play a solo, what are you saying? Mm. Is there a point? Because then you might as well not take it. Someone else could have a really interesting thing to say on this song. You're just making noise. So that I think those guys are like you've like Sheila E. Definitely mm. got something to add to the tune. Mm. If you take away Sheila E, it's not the same tune. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think that's what it is. They found like I this is what I have to offer. I'm gonna clarify, I'm gonna be the best I can at it. And they had a little light in the dark and everyone gathers around their little light and wants to play with them. Like, yeah, cool. And I'm going to put you on the spot here, Derek. So what is it you think you have to offer? What's your Um, thing? What's Derek Daly's thing musically? uh, Two things I try to bring to every session that I play in. I try to bring sensitivity to the part that I'm playing. Mm -hmm. So I will try my best to listen to whatever's happening around me and compliment it. If someone's taking a solo and they decide to go in a certain direction, I am coming with you. (laughs) If you give me a look to say, stay where you are, I'm going to stay exactly there. Whatever it is, I'm going to support you like it's just, there is so much happening and so many colors flying by i'm just one of these colors in the paint so that's the first thing i bring and the second thing i bring is a nice and even temperament mm-hmm. <laughs> i bring a nice and even temperament i had a teacher called ed pearson who oh, said to me ed. <laughs> he said to me when i was very young as my upcoming musician he said to me it's not always the guys who can play the best that get the gig but the guys who you want to hang out with will always get the gig. You will rather go on tour for six months with someone who 
it might not technically be the best, but they can play the, they can play the fuck out of those songs, and you like to hang out with them. He said to me once, actually, as a musician, you've got two jobs: learn the songs and show up on time. Mm. Like that's all you have to do: learn the songs and show up on time. If you can't do these two things, you might be in the wrong industry. And do you think you do those two things, Derek? I should hope so. I mean, I get work. <laughs> I should. I mean, if I show up, if I learn more songs and show up more on time, then uh, yeah, I guess it works. Definitely as a formula for being a session musician, it works. So learn the songs. You don't, it, don't learn every song. Learn these songs and show up on time. It is very sensible advice from, from Ed Pearson. Um, Ed Pearson. <laughs> and I know some people, well, many people listening probably don't know who Ed is, but um, I did actually, I used to work with Ed many, many years ago, and he is a, a really, really lovely man and a fabulous teacher. Um, Amazing who, teacher. Yeah. So was he your first bass teacher? Uh, my first bass teacher was actually my dad. Oh. Um, he, he showed me the basics, got my chops up. Okay. And when I started officially studying at, um, it was cool, it was Access Now, right? Mm. And when I officially started studying, um, I met Ed Pearson. Mm. And, uh, yeah, he... Yeah, he, uh, he showed me the ropes. He did. He didn't, me, he, yes. didn't he give you his double bass or at least let you use it? <laughs> yeah, so I found his double bass at um, college and I kind of pestered him for a couple of days and he was like, okay, uh, the, the, the peg at the bottom didn't come out all the way. It was broken or something. He's like, if you can somehow fix this, I will teach you how to play it. So immediately I went to uh, the maintenance guy. I was like, help me out. We need to fix this right now. And uh, yeah, so that's my actual first ever experience on double bass was wow. Ed's double bass. And he just let me use it whenever I had time. So I'd like try and like rush assignments and finish it and have like an hour in the practice room or whatever. Uh, yeah, fantastic do you still speak time. to like, him? Does he know the impact he's had on you, do you think? Yes, yes. At one stage, I ended up actually working with him. Uh, he was teaching after I'd like left and I got to weirdly enough sit on a desk just across from him. So I've seen him on both sides. I've seen him as a teacher and I've like seen him as a colleague, but weirdly he's still giving me advice because I mean like I mean he, he's never the teacher never really stops being a teacher. That's very even true. when they're at home. That so is very true. I yeah, I try and keep in touch with him as much as possible. But I mean he's he's got stuff going on, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, look, we could chat for ages, uh, uh, yeah. so I should probably round this up. But so for anyone who's listening and they want to see you live, other than my own gigs, of course, um, but you, sadly, you are not my own personal bassist and you do play with other people. <laughs> so, uh, yes, if, I do. <laughs> if someone wants to see you live, have you got any gigs coming up over the next kind of month or so? Uh, the next month. OK, I'm going to start at the end and work backwards at the 30th of April. I'm doing a gig with uh, a guy called Ricardo Royal. All the details for this will be on like my Instagram and stuff. I don't know mm-hmm. if that goes on your podcast, too. but um, yes, Ricardo Royal. That's more dancehall, Caribbean influenced music. Mm-hmm. We love it. I've got a gig with you coming up the end of the month as well. Yeah. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. And um, I've got the Temple of Art and Music as well, doing some jazz, uh, some jazz gigs from to from wednesday this wednesday coming we're going to be in canary wharf at the temple of art and music please come uh we're doing that pretty much every week we've got two gigs a week doing that so the um, best place if people want to see you playing is the best thing to follow you on instagram is that where you instagram, shape yes okay all, all my stuff is on instagram all my promotional stuff is on instagram and what's your insta um, handle 
at Derek Daily Music, uh, D E R E K D A L E Y Music, and there's going to be a picture of me looking really broody. That's the fantastic. <laughs> you do. I have to say. You, you're very photogenic and you did do some modeling, which is something we could have also discussed. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that on another podcast. But I, you, there's some amazing photos of Derek. Doesn't matter what the, who the photographer is. Um, there are some great photos of you. Um, but that would Honestly, be. If it's, a, if it's a picture of me playing, I'm probably going to look like I'm having a good time. So, I mean, it's easy. Well, but yeah, well, there's some great photos of you. Um, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna end this, and th- thank you for being a guest. But before um I yes. uh, end this podcast, I have one final question for you, um, which is, what is on your to do list? What's on my to do list? Mm. Um, my on my to do list immediately is I'm gonna record some ideas that I've had playing in my head since we started talking, uh, and then I'm going to do a bit more reading. Uh, and then I'm going to do a lot more writing. Are you going to tonight. read anything in particular? Um, I'm going to read a set of interviews that were done. It's going to sound really strange. There's a, a French baker who interviews his guests after he like makes things for them. And I haven't read the I haven't read the title yet, but the um. The impression I got from the person who recommended it to me was that it's a great way of learning how to get people to open up because, I mean, food is one of those things that you share with people. So if you can get the, the feeling of eating a meal with someone from a conversation, mm. that's the idea of it anyway. Yeah. But hopefully that works and hopefully I'll become an amazing and illustrious writer. But I'm working on it. Okay, well, that sounds like a great to-do list. And I'm going to say something really cheesy now. Because on my to-do list was talking to Derek yes. Daly. Really? Thank you. <laughs> what, you what was on your to-do list for tonight? Well, you talk, talking to Derek oh. Daly was on my to-do list. Oh, nice. Thank yeah, you. See? I mean... So I've managed to tick something off my to-do list. <laughs> my to-do list is insane. I never, in all these podcasts, I always ask my guests what is on their to-do list, but I never talk about mm. what's on my to-do list other than talking to the guest, which genuinely is on my to-do list. <laughs> Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Derek.